listening for the Prairie Sportsman Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. <clears throat> We're not just a radio show anymore. Heck yeah. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thank you for tuning in on this station right here by downloading the podcast or watching this on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. If you don't watch us on YouTube, if you don't follow us, if you are just listening to this online and you want to watch the show or listen to the show, don't forget you have a number a number of other options. And when you watch the show, sometimes you get to see some of the things that we're talking about, like uh, coming up later in the show, we're going to have Randon Olson. We went musky fishing with him recently, and we filmed the entire thing. You're going to get to see us fishing for muskies. We, we caught a bunch of muskies in a pretty... I'm not going to say it's a unique way, but to me, it's a pretty unique way. Some of the musky guys out there probably do it like this a, a lot. But if, you, but if you haven't done this or musky, if you don't musky fish a lot, it's a pretty unique way to do it. It was a lot of fun. We'll tell you more and we'll show you if you're watching this, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Look for Sporting Journal Radio. We've also got Ali Shakur. We met him at a glow and he had won a, uh, uh, a scholarship from NWTF to come to uh, come to Branson and come to the Aglo Conference. So I was like, all right, we're going to interview you to talk about winning the scholarship and you know what you're doing with National Wild Turkey Federation, et cetera. And then he goes on to tell us that he's, he's a biologist and a tournament angler, and he kind of blew our minds a little bit with some of this research that he's doing on walleyes. So we'll ask him what the research is and what he's finding out about walleyes uh, coming up later in the show. And we've also got Joe Henry. We're going to talk about the new border crossing rules with Canada and the vaccine mandates and all this other stuff that's going on up there. Uh, spoiler alert, it's uh, it's being changed. All the mandates are being dropped. We'll explain more here in just a second, too. Uh, that's all coming up here. Uh, that's Dan Amundsen right over there. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm very blurry again. Oh, good. I can't wait for the new camera to show up in the mail today. It's happening today. We're pretty excited about it. Well, in the meantime, why don't you talk about our sponsors, and we'll roll those sponsors over you. Okay. We've got Haybell Heights Campground and Resort. Book a trip to Devil's Lake for this fall or winter at haybellheights.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan a trip for this fall or winter at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Camp Grayling. Catch the Grand Slam. Lake Trout Pike Grayling and Walleye at Camp Grayling in Saskatchewan. On X. Nori Stand with On X. Mid-migration outfitters come hunt waterfowl out of heated 10-man pits and comfortable blinds this fall. Learn more info at midmigrationoutfitters.com. And Prairie Sportsman, watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel or check your TV guide for air times. What was your favorite part? What was your favorite part of the Aglow Conference, Dan? Well, we got to do some cool things, uh, meet some cool people, talk to some cool people. I liked fishing. We got to fish with Pat Slopper. We showed last week. That was a lot of fun. Uh, met a lot of cool people, hung out with a lot of cool people, and even some people I've wanted to meet for a long time and just got to virtually meet for the first time. Dan got to FaceTime Sydney Wells, and we're going to tell the story. It's hilarious. Uh, maybe my favorite, probably your favorite part of your life. Oh, easily. the be- it, it was the best day of my life. Uh, but probably one of my favorite parts of the trip, too. It was, uh, it was a good time. We'll explain that coming up later with Joe Henry about how... Uh, Dan got to FaceTime with Sidney Wells here on the show. Uh, but of course, we did very well uh, with the awards. We're very uh, thankful and uh, honored uh, to win some awards. Dan, you got a best in show for your photograph of Aggie. Congratulations. Sure Thank you. 
We probably talked about some of this stuff last week on the show. If you want to watch any of any of the award-winning stuff that we got, so if you want to look at the photos, or we had a lot of people asking, well, we won all these things. What what were they for? Well, we've got them all listed at sportingjournalradio.com. We got the, our interview with uh, Jay Siemens won a first place. That was a great podcast that we did with Jay. You can watch that on our YouTube channel, or we've got a link to it right at sportingjournalradio.com. Uh, the, the t- what was it, the turkey show that we, we did with Corey and Sam? Yeah, somehow talking about pig fetus got us an award. <laughs> I don't know. Was, our, some people would say that's the worst podcast we've ever done. Some people would say that's the best we've ever done. I don't know if anybody would say it was the worst. Maybe well, there's some weird Maybe some purists out there, but yeah, that was the funniest. I haven't laughed uh, that hard in a long time. We yeah, need to do that again. Yeah, that was a fun one for sure. So check that one out, sportingjournalradio.com. And there's some other podcasts. Uh, we did a deer primer one. Yep. Um, we've done, oh, there was a couple of, oh, the one, the, the future of our ducks with Tom Landwehr and John Devney. That was a good one. That was one of the award winners. Anyway, see them all at sportingjournalradio.com. And if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, uh, make sure that you do it. And speaking of ducks, uh, we celebrated the traditional Minnesota duck opener last weekend. And, Maybe it's because I've gotten older. I've, I've spent a lot of time hunting waterfowl. And also this year, too, we also spent a couple of weeks hunting ducks and, and geese up in Saskatchewan. So this opener, basically, we were almost three weeks into our own waterfowl season for the opener this year. So didn't quite have the fanfare that it, that it once had. Uh, but it's still a tradition, and it doesn't matter how many ducks you shoot. It's great to be out there. My 82-year-old dad was out there, and we were with with your dad, who's my mm-hmm. brother. So it was uh, the four of us and a couple of other friends uh, out there spending some time in the duck slew. And I just shot with a camera mostly. And uh, Dan, you just basically trudged through the mud with decoys. And it was like, that pond was, have you ever seen it that dry before? Not that dry. It was brutal. There was like a gallon of water in there. It was bad. And that's that's the pond. It was pretty dry last year. In fact, that's the pond where you took that award-winning photograph. Yep. Uh, and it was way lower. I mean, most of the, most of the water was gone. Yeah, there's like one little spot that was holding just inches of water. And yeah, we need rain really bad. Um, the, the yeah, uh, it, it may not have had a lot of water. It had all the mud, all the mud. Yep. It was not fun to, to go through there. But uh, they shot some, you, you hunted there on Sunday. We hunted there Sunday again, and you shot some ducks on Sunday. Yeah, we shot ducks both days. So, yeah. you know, it was... Not bad. We'll take it. Saturday morning, and we we're in uh, Otter Tail Lakes country, and there were a lot of people out Saturday morning. Sunday, as predicted, was noticeably quieter, but there was a lot. That first half hour Saturday morning, it was a war zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it was pretty typical for that area, but you know, good to see hunters are still getting out and shooting at some ducks. Yeah. You know. It was fun to be there. Weather was good. It got a little breezy. We saw some migrating geese. Uh, coming over, and then it got a little bit of windy for the migrators, but uh, we definitely saw push birds come into the area. Then we had some cold weather here this week, and and I'm I'm still excited. I haven't said this much, but Dan, I'm still excited to do some fishing at this fall before I fully get into hunting mode. Well, absolutely. I don't know why you wouldn't be. I mean, it's fishing's good. really good right now, and uh, 
to neglect fishing is a poor choice. <laughs> poor choice. I just like to hunt more than I like to fish, but I've definitely come around. I caught some of my biggest walleyes in my life last fall. I'm excited to get out there and start chasing walleyes this year. And we we filmed a muskie episode for Prairie Sportsman a couple of years ago with Rand and Olson from Lockjaw Guide Service up in Ottertail Lakes Country. And we saw, I think we, we had eight fish that we saw, two of them we put in the boat, Rand and put in the boat. This year was a little bit different. And we went out, so we, after duck hunting for two days, we went and stuck around in Ottertail Lakes country there and, and uh, muskie fished with Randon. And we caught three muskies that day. And it was a team effort, as Randon likes to say, because really he's setting it up. He's doing the gear. He's, uh, you know, he's kind of watching the fish. And then we get to fight the fish, set the hook on the fish. So it's a little bit of a team effort. So when we say we caught fish, we all caught them. Mo- give Randon most of the credit, really, for doing mm-hmm. that. But we'll show you, if you're watching this, we'll show you uh, how we caught those muskies. We'll break it down for you coming up later in the show. And I'll just say, and if you're listening to this, we'll say it was a unique way to catch them. There was some heart-pounding uh, anticipation, and I broke a rod. <laughs> he, he says, set the hook like you're going to break the rod. So I did. And I broke the rod. And we'll show it to you coming up later in the show uh, with Rand and Olson. Big news for those who want to go to Canada. If you've been holding out for them to drop the vaccine mandates, they finally did. Uh, starting October 1st, you'll no longer be required to be vaccinated against COVID to enter Canada or meet COVID-19 testing, quarantine, or isolation requirements. You're no longer required to submit public health information through the Arrive Can app. And you're no longer required to wear a mask in terminals, ports, and on aircraft. That Arrive Can app. I was a little skeptical about it because when I was in Canada and had to use it, you had to report in with your symptoms every day for a while. Uh, They said it didn't track you. There was rumors that it did track you. I think it came out that they were kind of sort of tracking you somehow, but anonymously, I I don't know. But I'll tell you what, when we crossed this year, Dan, the ArriveCan app kind of helped us get across the border pretty quick. I would consider using it again because you upload your credentials right to it and you had to upload your vaccine, your proof of vaccine, which obviously you're not going to have to do, but you upload your passport or enhanced driver's license or whatever you're using to get across the border, hand them your passport at the border, and you put in what port you're at, blah, blah, blah. Hand them your passport at the border, they scan it, and again, this might be unnecessary now because you don't have the vaccine requirement, but they scan it, so they never had to ask for our vaccine requirements. They knew who we were. They knew where we were going. And they would ask us that too, but they'd scan it. Okay, you've got this. Do you have any booze? Do you have any cigarettes? Do you have any blah, blah, blah? Usually and we're on our way. Yeah. It was really, really, really efficient. Whether or not that that it was the, the app that helped us get across, it sure seemed like it. And whether or not you're worried about being tracked, that's another whole nother discussion. But it did seem like it helped us cross the border uh, easier and quicker, almost like they already had some of the background information that they wanted to get mm-hmm. from us at the border. And just anytime I cross the border, I always feel like if I have all my paperwork in order, I've got it all organized and I've got it ready for them, whether they're asking for it or not. Like if I got my dog with, I got my shot records, I know exactly how much beer and what brand it is. Like they asked me what brand I had or, or whatever. As long as you are prepared at the border and, and you know what you have and you can show it to them right away, it's just going to make life so much easier. And maybe that app helps with that. I don't know. But either way. 
starting October 1st, you won't need to use it. You don't need to show proof of vaccination or any of that. So uh, for those of you going to the Northwest Angle, that might be welcome news, of course. We're going to talk more about the Northwest Angle with Joe Henry coming up later in the show. We've also got Ali Shakur. This is a great interview. We met him down at uh, Branson at the Aglow Conference. A very interesting guy, very knowledgeable, and we picked his brain about walleye research. We'll tell you what he is learning about walleyes coming up later in the show. And also, we jump in the boat with Randon Olson from Lockjaw Guide Service to do some musky fishing. All coming up. 852 million acres of public land. 147 million private properties. All in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. This is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on this station right here by downloading the podcast, or maybe you're watching this on uh, on YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Brett Amitz, and that's Randon Olson right there, Lockjaw Guide Service. We're in Ottertail Lakes Country today, and we are, I, I was going to say we're fishing for muskies, Randon, but we're catching muskies today. It's always a good day when you're catching muskies. We're already on the board. We've been out here. I don't know what time it is, but I suppose we've been out here an hour or so. About an hour. And uh, we saw five, we live scoped five fish right away. Five, four? Five. Five. And then caught one uh, pretty quick yeah. here today so far. Yeah, interesting catch too. <laughs> Definitely have to watch the video because it's, it's cool. So we, we filmed an episode of Prey Sportsman with you a couple of years ago where we were casting and you caught you caught two casting, uh, but we were also dragging suckers kind of behind the boat too. Yeah. And and this year you thought, there's three of us in the boat. We'll just clarify that right away. Dan Amundsen's behind the camera there. And we're doing some casting, but we're dragging two suckers this time. Yeah, so the trend out here lately has been the fish haven't been moving a lot. There's a ton of bait so there's a lot to choose from um, and they're just not that aggressive where they're really moving on casting bait so yesterday I was out here and we did good we caught three and had two more bites and and their majority of the action's been on the sucker minnows and we had one out yesterday so I figured today we'll put two out kind of up the chances there and we'll keep casting with one line so worked out the plan is and, and you've actually been watching them you can see them on the electronics before you, you've seen a few follows on the electronics i guess the best way to explain it yeah um you know when i first started musky fishing with suckers i always assumed every time a musky came up to the sucker it would get kind of nervous and run around and it's that's far from the truth so being able to know those fish came up and know where those fish are sitting uh, it's a big advantage you know we we know they're there we can always keep coming back to them as the day goes on until they're ready to rock and roll so you've actually got it mounted on your troller back to your uh, what is that? Van what are the vantage? vantage? Yeah. Yep. So you've actually got it. You've got it mounted on your vantage back there, and then you can watch it as you're trolling. You can. Can you see both suckers? Not at the same time. Uh, maybe if you're doing a corner or something. But it's really easy. Just quick little turn either direction. You you can watch the baits. So you know if there's weeds on them. You know if there's fish following them. Uh, it's a good way. The old days you used to wait about 10 minutes and you reel it closer to the boat. Check it. Nope. Okay, we're good. Um, and then now you don't have to do that. The suckers are staying in the strike zone the whole time. Um, and you're just, you're looking for those fish coming and keep going through them. 
explain what we went through with that fish today or, or maybe start with when you see a fish follow the sucker what do you do next so generally what i'll do is pick up the rod first i'll kind of let the fish come up to the bait if they don't eat it after like three or four seconds i'll start kind of moving that sucker and just pay attention to what the fish does if he starts to back off i'll just put it back in the rod holder and leave it alone if he gets a little more aggressive then i, I kind of keep trying to work that fish kind of trigger him to eat it and when I think I was casting, was I, I might have been talking to the camera. I can't remember what I was doing when that one, did, that, did, that, did you just see the bobber go or hear the reel? Or how did you know we had a fish on that sucker? The reel just went off. Um, and I look back, bobber's gone, kind of scooting across the top of the water, popping in and out. Um, and you, you just kind of know, you can, you can kind of tell. The, the suckers will run a little bit and pull some drag, but there's a whole different sound when the fish eats it. It's just, it's a hard smack and good little chunk of line gets ripped out. And, you know it's game time. I'd like to feel like I was in control of my emotions during that entire <laughs> entire process, but there's so much anticipation. It's not like reaction where if you're casting and reeling or even doing a, an oval, you can react to that fish hitting and then the game is on. It's like when, when, when it hits this, there's so much time between when the fish bites to the, to the hook set, but there's a lot of stuff going through your brain. It's going hundred miles an hour. I was trying to slow myself down just a little bit and when when you get a fish like that you'll actually before you hook set the hook you'll get everything in place you get the boat in place you kind of move up on that fish don't you yeah you want to get close as you can um you know it's a pretty i'd like to say it's a sure thing because you got two trebles and a front hook on there um, but it all depends on how they eat that sucker you know if they eat a belly first you might not even have a hook in the mouth we've had where you set the hook and there's nothing there um, so it's a little bit of a guessing game you know you want to take it quick you don't want them to swallow it but um it's a lot like deer hunting, but you're watching that deer come from a half a mile across the field. <laughs> you know, you're just waiting and waiting, and, and you want to go, but you got to be patient. You got to get things just right. Well, and buck fever can set in a little bit too in both situations, and just like that, like I knew if that situation came up, that my heart would start to race in anticipation of setting that hook. And it's like we were in slow motion. You know, it's just painstakingly slow. Once you know that the bobber is down, there's a fish just waiting there, and you're inching the boat up. Up and we had to you know reel some line in get some slack in the line and I'm just waiting to set the hook and you told me numerous times about the hook set like giving her a real good heavy hook set and I don't know if I just built up so much adrenaline waiting for that moment or just you know some experience of, of you know when I when I fish for lake trout or big pike you know I, I especially for lake trout when we're trolling when you set the hook those big those big heavy lake trout and their jaws so hard you really have to do some heavy hook sets so I'll tell people to do heavy hook sets and they never do it as heavy as I want them to. Yeah. So you probably were telling the wrong guy to give a heavy hook set to. But did you actually say, set the hook so hard you're gonna, you might break the rod? Yeah. <laughs> what happened, Rannon? We broke the rod. <laughs> <laughs> I, I generally carry extra rods with, and I like to show them to people, say, look, it's all right, break the rod, I don't care. How often does that happen? That's probably about the fifth rod I've got. Oh, fifth time. So, so okay. it's not too bad. All right. I've been doing it for about 20 years. It's not too bad. But. Well, it's already chaotic enough when you get a big muskie next to the boat. And I'm not going to say that was a super giant muskie or anything. It was a nice fish. It was a heavy fish. Heavy. Um, but 
<laughs> when you when you got a rod broke kind of right at the reel seat there so i got the reel handle in the reel in one hand and then you're you're trying to net the fish and hold on to the rod in, in another hand and it, it was a it was a kind of a learning process for us there's a learning curve but we figured it out i finally grabbed the rod and then i was able to kind of work the reel uh, almost as a drag system sort of as and, you know kind of fight the fish with the rod and then kind of let line in and out by moving the reel back and forth and then you netted that fish and we we had it in the boat pretty quick. Yeah, I, I'd say it was a, a choreographed dance. <laughs> we did good. It's like we've done that before. Yeah, and I have. <laughs> and you probably have too, many times. But man, what a what an incredible experience. So much fun. Um, and yeah, I think it was 43 inch 43 inch muskie. But I hadn't caught a muskie since I was probably about 13 years old. So that's that's a pretty special fish. That was pretty neat. Yeah. And and really, you deserve all the credit because you did all the work. I just oh. got to fight it and break your <laughs> break your rod. So, but. Uh, but that was pretty neat. We got Dan with us too. We're going to try to get Dan on a fish next. And we're looking at, it's uh, late September here. I think last time we did this was a, maybe a week earlier. I think so. I think it was a little bit earlier. What What's your favorite time of year to target muskies in the fall? You know, generally this is it. You know, that last week or two of September and the first week or two of October, a lot of those fish pull up into the shallow stuff. Um, it's a great time of year for numbers of fish. You, you can usually go out and catch a few bites every day. So we're definitely in it right now. It's a little weird this year. Though I don't know if it's the weather, what it is. You know, we're not seeing those fish following like they normally are, but they're eating, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Then last time we tried to time it with the moon, the, mm -hmm. with the moon phase, and then we were playing the majors and minors, and we noticed that fish. Oh, fish. Oh, here we go. All right, Dan. Dan's up. I'll, uh, I'll grab the camera. You're gonna kind of manage the line, okay. but I want you to leave some slack in it, okay. if that makes sense. Yep. So right now we're kind of tight. I'm gonna get you on this side. Okay. Yep, I don't want you to put much pressure on them. Yep. I would like to get nice and close. All right, so we're just recording a podcast, uh, radio show, Sporting Journal Radio, with Randon Olson here, and uh, fish hit. There's a good chance when we get close, he's gonna go to take off, so yep. just be ready to yep. slack them. Hopefully, this isn't a repeat. <laughs> yeah, don't break the rod, Dan. I have no promises. Are you ready? We're gonna be getting real close. Okay. Do we wanna turn the clicker off or is that all right? Doesn't matter to me, okay. Okay, reel down and hit him. Nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's fun. Oh. Oh. Nice. Got him. There we go. In the net. Bed <laughs> <Matt> radio show. <laughs> Heck yeah. God, I love that's this fun. This is probably the time we should tell people how to book a trip, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna guide service. I'm gonna get these hooks out just so she can get her head down. I'm gonna get you some slack there. Um where did I set my pliers? You got that net? Yeah. Thank you, sir. Just want to get her head back in the water. Yeah, sure. You got it, Dan? Okay, I'm gonna sneak around behind you. Didn't break raw. <laughs> Heck yeah. There we go, Dan. First muskie. First muskie. Congrats. That's a fun fish. Congratulations. It's not a giant, but they're heavy. They're pretty. That hook set's awesome, and they're just beautiful fish. That's awesome. Brandon, how many times do you give people their first muskie? A lot. 
I've lost count, um, but there's no better thrill for me. I love, I think to be a guide, you gotta like to watch people catch fish and this is, the, this is as good as it gets. So that's pretty cool to get interrupted during a radio interview to catch a muskie. How often does that happen for you, Randon? <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> you can't ask for anything better than that, but that was pretty cool. Dan caught his pretty much the same way that I caught mine earlier, only he didn't break his rod. Yeah, he got to fight the fish normal. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty neat. So that's two fish uh, pretty quick. Now, yesterday you caught three total. Did you have, you had two pretty quick yesterday too, didn't you? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, our first two were pretty quick, probably about a half an hour apart, which is about what those were, yeah. give or take. Um, and that's just a sign of musky fishing. When a window opens, you gotta go. You wanna be on spots where there's fish. So, so we shouldn't be wasting any time right now, is what you're saying. Well, I guess we are fishing. <laughs> we're still fishing. We're, we're fishing again. Now, uh, talk about where, we at, where we're at with moon phases and everything then. Uh, so interestingly enough, yesterday was the new moon. And generally speaking, the best day bites you're gonna get are during the new moon. A couple days before, the day of, and a couple days after. So we hit this prime. You know, last year we hit it pretty good as well. Uh, but we hit this prime. This is kind of our peak bite of September, if you will. And we're fishing, trying to fish, kind of, I mean, it's, it's just working out that way, but we're kind of trying to fish outside the majors and minors today. Yeah, that's been the pattern out here. Um, you know, musky fishing, you're always getting that beat in your head, majors and minors, majors and minors. Um, but you gotta pay attention because it's not always during those times when those fish go. There's like this right now, we're, we're getting fish outside of those times and that's the pattern. What time is it actually even? 9.30. 9.30 right there, we got two fish in the boat. What time is that next? Um, is it a minor then that's coming up? The, the major will start it's at major. 12.30. Major at 12.30, all yep. right. So we got three hours to catch a few more fish. If the pattern holds, it's <laughs> gonna be a dead zone from 12.30 to 3.30. Well, it's been good so far. We got more to come. We're filming this entire thing for a video we'll put on our YouTube channel so you'll be able to watch us catch those couple of fish and then uh, maybe some more. Whatever we catch after this interview for the podcast and radio show is over, we'll have that in the video. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Look for Sporting Journal Radio. And Randon, if people want to do some musky fishing with you or walleye fishing, crappies, panfish, whatever the case may be here in Ottertail Lakes country, how do they reach you? The absolute best way is just give me a call at 218 Six four zero zero one five eight. Otherwise, you can find us on Facebook or even on the website at www.lockjawguideservice.com. All right, Randon, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Did you know there are more than 1,000 lakes in Ottertail County? Yep, and I'm going to fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. All right, this is the Sporting Journal Radio Show, Sporting Journal Radio Podcast, depending on where you're listening to this. If it's on the radio, thanks for tuning in on this station right here, or if you are uh, got the podcast rolling, thanks for downloading the podcast or listening on demand at sportingjournalradio.com. I'm Brett Amundsen. We're, at, uh, we're in Branson. We're at the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers Conference right now here. We've got uh, a bunch of stuff going on, so we've got to make this kind of quick, uh, but we wanted to have our next guest on the show because he's new to Aglow. He won a scholarship here this year, and uh, we're going to find out all about all of that. It's uh, Ali Shakura. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, where are you from? I am from uh, Jackson, Michigan originally. Now I'm in Dearborn, Michigan, which is just outside of Detroit. All right, and what do you think of the conference so far? Oh, man, it's, it's been a blast. Um, you know, I, I came in um, expecting for it to be professional, but I had no idea that the people here would be so warm and receptive. 
Um, everyone's come up and introduced themselves and offered any kind of help and asked me if I needed anything, made sure I've been comfortable. Uh, so I've been really impressed. I do a lot of conferences, a lot of scientific conferences, and uh, I've, been, I've been really impressed. I, I've had a ball and I've had such a good time that I'll, I'll definitely be back for another one of these. Oh, well, when you talk about professional and scientific conferences, this is probably a bit of a change of pace. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're professional here, we, but we like to have a little bit of fun. It's yeah, pretty oh, yeah, relaxing. Yeah, and, and, we, and we have fun as well, but you know, they're, they're the same in that everyone there is passionate about the work that they do. Sure. You know, so there's a common thread. Um, and, and again, with, with my career and the schoolwork that I do, um, there's a common thread with natural resources um, and, and, and dealing with different ecosystems and whatnot. So there is a lot of overlap okay. um, with those things. So it's not as, as different as you would think it would be. Well, give us your background. What, what are you talking about? So I am a uh, biologist. I'm an aquatic ecologist oh, really? um, by trade. Uh, I'm finishing up a master's degree from the School of Natural Resources at the University of Michigan, School of Natural Resources. Um, finishing up a doctorate at Wayne State University in Detroit. So for my dissertation research, I'm studying harmful algal blooms on Lake Erie. Oh, really? Um, their effect on early life history of walleye. Uh, I'm also doing some tracking of those blooms, how they move around the lake. So I use a, a multi-beam echo sonar, just a sophisticated, a bigger version of a sonar on your boat. Um, it has four beams, so we actually map subsurface concentration of blue-green algae and then fish, commun fish communities associated with that. So we compare inside the bloom versus outside the bloom and see if they're relating to it and everything because you know, there's some issues with some toxins and mm -hmm. questions about whether it can affect their health and get into the flesh that people consume. So kind of some timely research with the increase of harmful algal blooms on, on Lake Erie, but it's really cool work. Yeah, that's so. Where what's causing that on Lake Erie? So those blooms are being caused by um, runoff. Um, the Maumee River has the highest sediment load of any river that's come, you know, tributary to Great Lakes, and it comes to a lot of farm country. Farming. It's not just the Maumee River, and it's not just the farmers. So I don't want that to, to get out there. But you have a lot of uh, phosphorus and nitrogen that gets pushed into the lake. Yeah. Um, you have some legacy uh, compounds also that are already in the system. Um, and so we have surface temperatures that are warming earlier in the year, staying warm later in the year, so the growing season is really kind of long. So when you have springs with a high amount of rainfall, those blooms can get really bad. Um, in 2014, the blooms got so bad, and we had a lot of northeast winds that the Toledo water intake was inundated with harmful algal bloom. 400,000 people in southeast and lower Michigan and northwestern Ohio lost their water supply for a week. Wow. So this isn't just a, uh, you know, a fish health thing or an outdoor thing, this is a people clean thing water. also. Yeah, so yeah. clean water, of course, are very important. How is that affecting the walleyes? Um, you know, I, some of the stuff I found in the, the papers in revision right now, it's been submitted to, uh, to be published in the Journal of Great Lakes Research. Um, I, I did see that there was effects in survival of larval walleye. Um, and people will say, well, the, the walleye population is doing so well right now, but you know, these kind of effects are compounding over the years. So you know, if things would have changed a little bit and, and you really get a, a spatial overlap, a spatial and temporal overlap with the, with the walleye spawn and the harmful algal bloom, you could potentially see some population level effects. Um, you know, but, but again, these, these toxins could possibly make it into the flesh of these fish. And you know, walleye is king on Lake Erie and it supports a, you know, 200 or so million dollar fishery that's part of a larger eight billion dollar sport fishery in the great lakes so again very timely work very very important 
Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. So if it, if it gets into that flesh, then that could affect, uh, you know, somebody's meal, essentially? And, and what effect could humans have off of that? Well, it, you know, microcystis and this, their associated toxins, microcystins, they can be neurotoxic or hepatoxic. Um, in Ohio, in Grand Lake St. Mary's, which is outside of the Lake Erie watershed, um, they have bloom issues. It's an inland lake. Uh, there were some families who lost family pets. They had dogs who died after, after playing in that water. Um, some of the people ended up with some, some liver damage. Um, I've seen some reports and read some, some news articles about other countries where elderly people with compromised immune systems have actually gotten in some real health issues and actually, you know, there were some deaths associated with it. And they're so, getting that from the water, though. They're getting it from the, the water. Meat could be could yeah, transmit that. It, it could, and I've seen studies from Grand Lake St. Mary saying that, that some of the toxins will make it into the flesh of some of the panfish there. Okay. Um, so, so again, re really, really important, and, and it ties into, get back to my background, I'm also a tournament fisherman. Oh, really? So I fish okay. the Cabela's Master Walleye Circuit oh, and the National right. Walleye Tour. So the whole walleye thing kind of, it all ties together yeah. in, a, in a nice, neat little ball. So and just going back to the research for one, one more question. So you're using that four-beam sonar. Are you, are you looking for walleyes in the blooms and then trying to capture those for, to sample them? Or, or how do you put, how no, are you doing? So normally when you do hydroacoustic work, you do, you ground proof and you put a net out to, it, okay. you kind of, to back up. If you think, you know, if you think they're walleye, or you think they're smallmouth bass, whatever the case may be, you ground proof it. But we're not, we're not doing any ground proofing yet. So what we are doing is we're measuring, and this is, it's pretty sophisticated. It's very, um, I mean, we're picking up individual cells of, of blue-green algae. So we're mapping at, and then the, the four beams together, you can kind of pick up the biological backscatter. So you can pick up, you know, you'll, I'll see schools of bait fish and I'll see other schools of fish. So then what I'm gonna do is I'll have some real-time monitoring that NOAA does, um, toxicity, pH, water temperature, things of that nature. Um, but also there is a lot of um, acoustic telemetry where they're tracking fish movements. And this is where being able to identify fish comes into play. You know, so they're tracking lake whitefish, walleye, uh, grass carp, sturgeon, muskie. So I'll be able to overlay those fish movements with satellite imagery or, um, you know, low-flying uh, airplane imagery of the bloom to see how those fish are relating to that bloom on Lake Erie. I definitely thought you were gonna say low-flying saucers for a second there. I was <laughs> like, well, there's aliens involved. This yeah, yeah that would be, it would be a heck of a reveal on your podcast research. here. Yeah, wow. some old Area 51 type stuff yeah. going on. Yeah, for sure. So what, what made you want to do this study? And is there other study, you know, obviously we're from Minnesota and uh -huh. walleye is king there, and we, uh -huh. we live in farm country, uh, a lot of rivers. And yeah. so, you know, that's something that could hit close to home for us. Do you mm -hmm. know if there's other research like that going on? There's research like this going on all over the planet. So um, harmful algal blooms are becoming a problem in Lake Taihu, China, Lake Titicaca in Nicaragua, uh, uh, Lake Ontario, um, uh, Winnipeg, Lake Winnipeg. Uh, there's an issue with harmful algal blooms. So it's happening all over the world, not just in large lakes, but in small farm ponds, in different sized bodies of water because of some, some different issues and everything. So this type of research is um, applicable and could reveal some of the things that are going on pretty much, you know, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world in that same kind of latitude where those types of blooms kind of happen. But yeah, there's a lot of neat research out there involving harmful algal blooms and 
fish, terrestrial health, birds. So people are really starting to, to look at this now. So very applicable to the state of Minnesota also. Yeah, I love that stuff. And uh, not just the, the research into what's affecting the health of our fisheries, but being able to track fish too. I, I love learning about migration patterns, whether it's fish or waterfowl mm -hmm. or whatever the mm -hmm. case may be. Mm -hmm. Just learning behaviors because there's so much of that that involves how much a you know how much success a guy has on the water yeah you, know, you know a lot of people oh it's uh our limits are too high or we can't use two lines or muskies are eating all their walleyes yep, whatever for sure, for sure. but there's so much more research and and work that gets done in the background and, and projects like this that really affect our fisheries and can mean success in the long run yeah it, it, there are and that's kind of the niche i'm you know kind of put myself in the past few years so i do a lot of uh, seminars and outreach. I've been at National Professor of Angler Association. I do a lot of stuff back home and a few other states. I have a passion for communicating science to people who don't normally get to see it. Because like you said, people have these complaints. The muskie are eating the walleye, the limit's too low, the limit's too high. Um, and a lot of times they only get that decision from the DNR. Hey, we're going to change the limit. And, but they don't get to hear, well, this went into it. This was a thought process. Well, they do a little bit, but there's they don't a lot of time. listen. They don't listen or there's yeah. a distrust. Yeah. Being an angler, being a tournament fisherman, and being able to link what the person who lives on the Detroit River or any other river for that matter with some of the things that are going on ecologically and have a conversation with them, I think kind of draws people in. They're really interested in hearing about those type of things. Yeah. So when you live in both worlds and sometimes I think, and I, you know, uh, don't take offense to this, but sometimes biologists, uh, you know, like our DNR in Minnesota, sometimes they're not always the best communicators to get the message out to the public. And they're, they're too busy doing research or whatever. They're not professional communicators. They're, yeah. you know, it's yeah. science. It's yeah. not it's not communicating. So uh, sometimes that, and, and they're getting better at it. Yeah. They know that that's been a problem. Yeah. And the last few years, they've actually done a really good job improving that. And they've hired some more communicators to help spread exactly. the message. Exactly. Yeah, a lot, a lot so. of DNR offices and, and, and state, you know, natural resource commissions are, are hiring mm -hmm. communications people because, you know, a lot of them now are short staffed. Yeah. You know, you have the biologists who used to kind of be in the office taking care of everything and coordinating. They're actually out in the field now. You know, and I see it, you know, as a tournament guy, a lot of times before I go to a, a place, I'll call a biologist to ask, hey, what's going on and everything. And a lot of times they just sound swamped, you know. Yeah. And so having that communicator, that communicator is good. And, and, and like you said, it's not that they don't want to take the time. A lot of times they're just so darn busy. And again, it's not, you know, they're trained to, to crunch numbers and do the research and everything and, you know, pass that data on to someone else who may communicate it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I see that disconnect. Um, you know, something else that I, I try to do on some of the projects I've worked on is to ask the public. And I, and I mentioned it the other, the other day when I was talking up front where if I pull up to a boat launch and I'm there to sample or something, I see someone who's lived on that lake for 75 years, I'm gonna ask them, hey, how was this lake when you were a kid? How yeah. is it now? Tell me the differences you see, what's happened over time? Um, he may not have a hardcore data set, but he's been on that lake every day for 75 years. Yeah. And that, you know, it's just like indigenous, indigenous knowledge. It's important mm -hmm. that, you know, he's in tune with, with what's going on. So, so there's been a disconnect, I think, on both sides. Um, the little things that I try to do, you know, for the past couple of years is try to bridge that gap as best I can with the people ar around me because, you know, this is a lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we do this, this kind of thing because we love it, you know? Yeah. I got it from my father. Did you? He got it from his father. Okay. You know, and so, you know, I want to pass it on to my children, to my daughters. And um, sometimes I feel like I'm the last of a dying breed because there's been this rate of attrition. We're not getting people back in. 
So we have to communicate these types of things and draw people in from diverse backgrounds and draw some scientists in to be more communicators and get out in the field and everything. So that's kind of you know, my where my passion lies and why I wanted to come to a GLOW to kind of to bridge that gap a little bit and to try to become a better communicator in different in, in other type media. Was your dad and grandfather, were they walleye guys or what did you grow up, what did they teach you? I, I grew up, my father was a, a, a big bluegill yeah. maniac. He would drive, I, I'll never forget, I was maybe 12, 13, we could end fishermen of course, and there was an article about there, we were in Michigan, Jackson, Michigan, Irish Hills area down by the racetrack, and there was an article about you know, big bluegill being caught in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, and I'll never forget. <laughs> let's get a lake map, let's go. You know, and, and that was the kind of person he was. So that sense of adventure, hey, if there's a bite somewhere, I'll go figure it out, let's, let's go. So I got that from him, that sense of adventure. Later on in life, you know, I got into walleye. So with him, it was pike, you know, panfish, big crappie, big bluegill, a lot of largemouth bass fishing. The walleye came a touch, a touch later. Um, I took that and ran with it. Um, but yeah, I came up doing that and then, you know, chasing bunnies, you know, squirrel hunting. Pheasant was really big when I was a kid. There aren't too many, well, there's some, but nothing like it, it used to be. So just growing up hunting and fishing, it was a lifestyle. Every Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving morning before we ate, you know, we go bunny hunting, Yeah. you know, kicking up brush piles and everything. So it was ingrained in me from an early age. So it's something I'll always be around. It's something that I'll do until my dying day, God willing. What got you into tournament fishing then? Um, Actually, I started fishing. My father, God rest his soul, passed away in 2012. And growing up, we'd always watch bass matches on TV, and we, you know, we see this stuff, and we'd always say, "Man, we're good anglers. We we could do that. We could hang out with those guys." And he passed in 2012, and that that winter, I kind of made some changes in my life. And I thought to myself, you know, one of the last things, one of the worst things you can hear is someone on their deathbed say, "I wish, I wish I'd done this. I wish we'd done that. I wish I'd done that." And I thought about that really hard, and that next spring, I was like, I'm gonna make that leap. You know, and I started fishing uh, the Master Walleye Circuit in, in 2012, and you know, got sucked in, had some success. You know, I've been fortunate to win a couple events and make some championships, so. Really? Nice. Yeah, it was kinda, you know, the impetus was, again, doing those things with my father, and you know, just seeing him pass, and just, and just thinking back, I, I didn't wanna have any regrets. You know, as far as I know, I'm here one time, and I wanna see and do it all. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've been doing it ever since, and uh, just loving every minute of it. Yeah. Did you get a chance to do some fishing down here? I did. I got up on Table Rock. Um, you know, we caught some smallmouth bass, some spotted bass. Legendary Table Rock Lake. I, I right. had a ball out there. Yeah. Um, today we got down in Lake Titimoco. Just some uh, some trout fishing, mm. some rainbows. We didn't get a big one, but we saw a, a giant brown trout down there. And, and, I, and I tell you, this area, man, it, it rivals anywhere I've ever been. The scenery is beautiful, the people are beautiful, friendly, um, the natural resources, the fishing is top notch. Yeah. Just, just a beautiful place and so happy to be here. What do you think of the, the conference and uh, the Aglow, your first impressions of Aglow? First impression, again, um, the, the people, just very professional, very welcoming, very warm, willing to, to go out of their way to help me. I've got so many cars and contacts, hey, if you ever need anything, and even, even while I'm here, hey, come sit down, let's talk, you know, and so very welcoming. I, I, they've made me feel like I've been a member of a GLOW for, for 10 years. Uh, how, did, how did you, you got a scholarship? I did, so I got a scholarship from the National Wild Turkey Federation. Thank you very much for, for the scholarship. Uh, Mark Schoonveld and Lance Valentine nominated me for that, so I have to give a big shout out to those two gentlemen. Um, but I was fortunate enough to be awarded that scholarship, which covered costs to come down here and attend, a, attend the uh, conference. 
pay for my conference fees, but it's something that I've wanted to do anyway. A um, couple of people I've talked to who are, who are outdoor writers who know me pretty well over the years, I said, hey, you need to kind of start doing this type of thing and getting, being a, becoming a member of a GLOW um, will help facilitate that. So winning the scholarship is not the only reason I'm here. Let me put that out there. Sure. But, uh, but again, I, it's been just a fantastic uh, opportunity, and I've had a great time. Well, it was uh, nice to meet you. Uh, sounds like, I mean, that research is fascinating to me. Good yeah. luck in all that research, and, uh, and good luck in the fishing and tournaments and all that. And if you want to do some pheasant hunting, let me know. Come on out. Yes, sir. I'd love Chase to do some, some pheasant hunting, around. and maybe when I get this, this project wrapped up, I can come back on and we can kind of talk about some things again and Absolutely. talk about the results of my research and kind of some next, some next steps that we're looking at taking with that. Yeah, for sure. Where do we find you online? So you can find me, uh, I'm on Facebook, on my personal page, uh, Ali Shakur, and I have a secondary page, Ali Shakur Fishing. I'm also on Instagram, Ali Shakur Fishing, and I'm on Twitter, Ali Shakur. My handle is at Fish Science Dude. So uh, reach out, any of your questions, comments, concerns about my research, about fishing or anything else, always love to hear from the public. All right, Ollie, thank you very much. Thank you. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybell Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybell Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. All right, now it's time to head up to Lake of the Woods to check in with Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism. Joe, have you recovered from the trip to Branson? Gentlemen, I'm simply following your lead. I've had lots of hydration. I've gotten some sleep and caught up on some work. And uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing just fine. How about you guys? You know, it's funny as I have not caught, on, caught up on sleep yet, it seems like. We came back. I don't remember what time we got back at, Dan, but I feel like we didn't, go, we didn't get much sleep and we were up hunting right away again the next morning. Yeah, you guys were hunting. I, you know, you get up at dark 30 for that. I, I didn't do that, you know, but uh, that that helped, I think. But uh, no, I'll tell you, you know, the uh, the Glow Conference, uh, listeners probably heard of it, the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers. But I'll tell you what, you get to rub elbows with uh, some really cool people. There's good education. There's networking. There's just a, a good week. But it's a tough week. I mean, you're, uh, you're up early. You're staying up late. You're eating and drinking more than you normally would. I and mean, it's just a long week. Really good, but it, it just tires you out, right? I don't know if that's age or just a part of a conference. What do you think, Brett? Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, obviously, uh, we're trained professionals, and uh, we know what to expect at these events, so we're, we're kind of prepared for it. But there's generally a lack of sleep, but it's a, it's a good time, uh, and you've got things throughout the day where you're, you're learning from other professionals in the industry, you're networking, but as you know, what's, what did we call it one time? Like napkin networking or whatever the after hours where you get to sit, sit down with somebody, there's no pressure. Like half the time you don't even realize 
what industry the person you're talking to is in. If you don't know that, like I say, it's somebody new to the conference. Uh, otherwise, it's someone maybe you met for the first time. You get a kind of a relaxed situation to meet some people. It's a great opportunity to network. It's also a great opportunity for people to FaceTime with some of their fa favorite outdoor personalities. Dan, what, what do you think your highlight of the Aglow Conference was? Oh, oh, you know, the food was good. The, the, nah, the, not really. It really wasn't that great. <laughs> yeah, it really wasn't. <laughs> So I was sitting in the hospitality suite, Joe, and uh, I met Matt Harrison, who's with Ducks Unlimited now, and he built up a big following on social media. He did some stuff with uh, with Sydney Wells. I think they were at uh, like an NWTF event where uh, he and Cindy Sydney went around with a microphone and they just kind of went up and interviewed people like on the street type stuff at this event and got to be friends with her. And they they went on to film some things together and do a lot of social media uh, content together. And I and Dan had just won. It was right after the award and Dan had won some awards and I was like well Dan Dan you know follows her a lot and and kind of likes what she does and everything and I may have used the word obsessed I may have I may have gone a little heavy on it if the shoe fits <laughs> <laughs> so he immediately he's like oh FaceTime her right now is, is he here is he here and I can't find him like I'm calling him I'm texting him I can't find him he's not in the room and the window to get this done was was closing and for anyone that follows me on Snapchat, you'll know that Dan also has another obsession. Now that shoe definitely fits. With ice cream. Dan ate more ice cream on that trip to Missouri and back uh, than I've eaten in the last five years, I think. So I finally reached Dan and I said, hey, you got to get down here. I got a surprise for you. Thinking, and, and you thought I bought you... Yeah, because the one cool part about the hotels, there's an ice cream shop in there. So <laughs> he told me to hurry and I thought I had an ice cream cone melting. Like sprint well, that, well, that's, hey, that isn't that the sign of a real good boy? Now, he's rushing upstairs to the hospitality room thinking you have an ice cream cone waiting. But <laughs> it was a lot better than an ice cream cone, wasn't it? There's, you know, actually, I don't know. Ice cream would have been really nice that night. There's, yeah, free be careful, beer. Be careful. Somebody might be listening to this, Dan. <laughs> free beer and pizza and food and drinks and the hospitality. And he thinks I got an ice cream cone for him. So he comes in and he's like, I'm just sitting on a couch with Matt. And he's like, what? There's no ice cream. What the heck? I'm like, Dan, come here and sit down. And at the same time, then Matt turns his phone and there's Sydney Wells. <laughs> Sydney Wells on the phone. What was your reaction when you saw that? It was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> I've had some cool <laughs> days in my life. People that don't know who Sydney Wells is, give a little uh, commentary here. So Sydney Wells is Tim Wells' daughter. Now, Tim Wells had the TV show or has a TV show, Relentless Pursuit. Uh, man, huge, huge outdoor uh, personality. Um, you know, in the archery world, he spears a lot of things, accidentally speared himself one time, shoots ducks out of the air with a bow. Well, his daughter has started to gain a, a really big following on social media. I think she's got 200 and some thousand followers on Instagram and Barstool Outdoors actually now features her as she's kind of their main personality on Barstool Outdoors, which is a huge, huge platform on social media. So she's gotten really popular in the outdoor world. She's, she's, is, she, is she an attractive young lady? She's or? very pretty and she does a lot of hunting and fishing. There's a, I'm sure she's got a list very long of admirers, including one Dan Amundsen over there. Ah. So it was really loud in the room. So they, I don't think he could really, I don't think either one of them could hear each other talking, but I'm sure I'm the, sure it was the a love, connection was there. I'm sure it's a love connection. You yeah. could feel it. <laughs> There's Sydney right there. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, after after Danny won all those awards he won, you know it darn well that Sydney was mes messaging Matt saying, Hey, can you get me a FaceTime with Danny Amazon? <laughs> yeah. And that's how it went. Well, that's the way it went. It was her idea. Hundred percent for sure. 
Yeah. So we'll just have to do it again. Well, yeah. Well, I just, I just enjoy, you know, as we talk about Sydney, look at that little grin on Danny's oh, face. He yeah, can't just, help it. Look at that. I mean, it's nobody like, can help it. <laughs> it's, it's, I told you there's a connection. It's there. It's there. Yeah. We have, we'll have to take her up the Lake of the Woods, Joe. You know, I'll tell you what, uh, that's a, it's a great place to, uh, to bring somebody you want to get to know better. And uh, tell you what, there's been a lot of love connections made up at Lake of the Woods. She would be somebody great to have up there. And you could say, hey, this is the award-winning Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism. Congratulations on your awards out of GLOW this year. Thank you, and, and you guys as well. I mean, I, I think uh, it's, it's nice to get recognition, isn't it? And it's not necessary, but it's really nice because, you know, what people don't see are – you know, the, the, what people don't see are the behind the scenes hours we, we put in, the late nights, the early mornings. You know, I, I had a deadline the other night, 1130 at night. I got uh, got it. I sent hit uh, return, you know, or send. So, I mean, you know, it's, it is nice getting some recognition. And, uh, well, you guys, you guys, uh, kudos to you guys. I mean, it just, it bodes to what kind of a, not only a fun show you have, but also the professionalism how you're always upping the game when it comes to being a, an outdoor professional. You know, it wasn't just, it was photography, it was writing, it was, you know, I mean, a, a numerous things for you guys. So I just, it's uh, very cool and kudos to you as well. And thank you very much. Very okay. nice. Yeah, we got I got a second place in public speaking. I got beat out by the one and only Joe Henry, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, Joe sorry Henry. about that, man. That's you know right. what? Uh, good good thing we're friends and we can we can applaud each other, oh, yeah. you know. Uh, it's also good you got a whole bunch of other awards, too. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't stink as bad, right? No, no, no. It was great. It was a it was a good time down there. Next year it'll be in Bemidji, so yes. uh, just down the road from you, and in our backyard here in Minnesota. So we're looking forward to that and a lot to get through between now and then. And this is the best time of year, of course, Joe, because we're out there chasing waterfowl. People are walking the woods for grouse. You can go out there and catch walleyes. I know I've been talking to a lot of people who have who have, are still fishing and are going to be fishing for a while yet. And it sounds like uh, bite is really starting to pick up. Of course, it never really slows down too much a leg of the woods but uh i'd, I'd assume the river is going to start getting some action here soon it's it's starting yeah it, it has started and you know i'm seeing a lot of uh, a lot of pictures on facebook and things of anglers showing their their sonar and in many cases their sonar is like the whole middle of the water column it looks like it's all static and everything and what those are, are emerald shiners running up the river and you know where you have bait you have walleyes and uh there's been a lot of big walleyes being caught i mean uh Heard of, heard of some 31s, some 11 pounders, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So, and, and a lot of eaters too, you know, the, but the fish are moving up the river. Now, is this, is this the big run? Is this the big blast of walleyes? I don't think it is, um, but I think it's definitely starting. You know, the thing about river fish is that, you know, like you, you'll hear about a great bite in Four Mile Bay, and then you'll hear about a great bite in the river, and then the, the fish in Four Mile Bay aren't quite as thick as they were yesterday. And, you know, those fish are kind of moving through. So, you know, I always tell people, don't go out to the orange sock on the Canadian side, anchor up for two days and die there. You know what I mean? If you're not catching in a spot, move around. It's a lot of river to fish, a lot of spots. Go and find some of those fish. Find out, you know, where, where, uh, where they're swimming and, and then you're going to be, you're going to be just fine. But uh, you, you still got to go fishing. Even though it's a fall run, you still got to go fishing. Guys got to be excited up at the angle about the new rules coming to uh, the border crossing up there. Yeah, you know, we heard it. We heard it coming a couple of weeks ago that they're going to lift the um, vaccination, the COVID vaccination requirements, as well as make the Arrive Can app optional. You don't have to use that anymore. And and the uh, government of Canada confirmed it. In fact, I got a, a, con a confirming email from the Canadian consulate. I think on Monday. But um, yeah, so it's confirmed now that come October one, 
you know, you can drive up to the Northwest Angle, which means you drive about 40 miles through uh, Manitoba, Canada, but you'll drive about 40 miles through and you don't have to be vaccinated and, and you don't have to use the Arrive Can. So we're starting to get back to normalcy and it's going to make it a lot easier for, you know, a lot of people to drive up to the Angle, which is perfect right now. I mean, you know, they're, they're shooting ducks up there out of layout boats. They're, uh, they're catching tons of walleyes and muskies. Um, it just, it's just a beautiful time up there. Of course, we got the, the approaching ice fishing season coming too. And if you've never ice fished in the Northwest Angle, it's uh, not only is it beautiful, it's a lot of fun. I've ice fished up there now. I don't know. Uh, I, I would like to duck hunt up there. That I haven't done yet. And I haven't done a whole lot of grouse hunting up around Lake of the Woods. So I might, we might have to try to get up there yet this year, Dan, and do some sort of cast and blast trip up there. You got the three different species of grouse, the rough grouse, the spruce grouse, and also the sharpies up there. So a lot of, a lot of really neat opportunities to go out and uh, see some of the, uh, the scenic northern Minnesota landscape and chase some of the local wildlife around too. And then do some fishing in the river or in the uh, uh, big Traverse has got some walleyes right now too, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, I'll tell you this. And that's kind of the woods right now is starting to load up with fish. And uh, it's a good, good sign. I mean, it's a good sign because anglers are out doing the traditional jig bite, anchored up off that south shore, and uh, they're catching walleyes that way. And a lot of those walleyes that are, are staged off that south shore, some of them will slide into the rainy river for the fall run. The other thing is when we have early ice, those fish are staged out there. They're going to stay there until early ice. So it's going to be some good ice fishing come uh, first ice too. Well, that's not far away. If people want to start thinking about an ice fishing trip or do some fall outdoor recreation at Lake of the Woods hunting and fishing, what do they do, Joe? If you want your, if you want uh, the dates you want to get, I'd, I'd, I'd make reservations now. And, uh, you know, check out our website for that. It's uh, lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.